The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 155 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I'm going to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I would never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before I get started, I remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So folks, the cybersecurity business is really a risk business. And to be successful in the information security space, you really have to have an understanding of risk and you have to make decisions in terms of the risk associated with the data that you're provided. So everything you do in this space has to be risk adjusted. So it's important to understand cyber risk and how that works. And for that reason, we're excited to welcome back Ariel Evans to the show. Ariel is a senior cybersecurity expert, a serial entrepreneur and author. She is also the CEO of Cyber Innovative Technologies, a cyber risk management software company. And she's also the founder of Cyber Intelligence for You, which is an educational cybersecurity company. And we're gonna talk about both of these ventures on the show with her this evening. Aerial has won numerous awards, including the EU Commission Award for Innovation and Cyber Risk and the Gartner Cool Vendor in Privacy Management Award. Ariel is the author of Managing Cyber Risk. Her book, her book excuse me, is based upon three years of research with the Fortune 1000 companies and cyber insurance industry. She conducted over 200 interviews for the book that helped her identify these gaps in company maturity and cyber risk compared with over 15 company metrics. The result of her research is really interesting. We're going to talk about it. It's what Ariel defines as the digital asset approach. So over 85% of a business is now in digital form compared to 10% in 2001. That's huge, right? That means 85% of a business's value is digital. The book provides the basis to measure digital asset risk with use cases for measuring cyber resilience and cyber insurance needs, M&A risk quantification, resource and budgeting needs and metrics that boards and directors can understand. And we're going to talk with her about it all again tonight. So with her most recent company, Cyber Innovative Technologies has patented this approach and created a software product for cyber risk management that has a cyber risk engine and management platform. Cyber Innovative Technology works primarily with mature cyber organizations to move to the next level of cyber assurance. I'm going to get with her to see exactly what that means. So founded in 2018, 
Cyber Intelligence for You is a cyber education services company that provides leading courses for universities, organizations, and individuals focused on executive cyber risks, cloud mobile, and mature cyber training needs, including an offensive cybersecurity program, which is really cool. The offensive cybersecurity program uses a gamified approach developed by former national security agency elites. So Aria has her undergraduate degree in nuclear physics <laughs> and her MBA from New York University's Stern School of Business. She currently sits on the board as a cybersecurity expert for Rutgers University and other Fortune 1000s. Arrow is the faculty chairperson of Pace University's Seidenberg Cybersecurity Certificate Program and is also a guest lecturer at Tel Aviv University, New York University, and Hebrew University. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show the CEO of Cyber Innovative Technologies and the founder of Cyber Intelligence for you, Mrs. Ariel Evans. Ariel, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio. Great to have you back on with us once again. Pleasure to be back. Thank you, George. Hey, so I want to start with some level setting. I want to talk about cyber risk. Uh, how did you get interested in cyber risk? Uh, how did that come about in your career? So I started out in risk and compliance on Wall Street and I became an acting CISO. And I really thought that there was a huge gap between compliance and risk and cybersecurity. So I decided that I would move to Israel seven years ago and I started working with all the innovative companies over here to see what was so special about Israel. Why were they the cyber nation? and discovered that there was an area that was underrepresented, which was cyber risk. And most companies are calling risk threats, vulnerabilities and incidents when it truly is something completely different. So we have a real language issue here, but no real understanding of how risk can be used. And so I did three years worth of research to find out why companies couldn't be cyber resilient. Where were the gaps between the business and the technology people? and came to understand that no one was looking at this from a digital perspective. So risk is, cyber risk is really digital. Um, and what we see is that um, companies are looking at threats, vulnerabilities, and incidents, and those are things that influence risk, but they're not risk in and of itself. So I've pioneered something called the digital asset approach to cyber risk, which is what we teach at university level. And what has been um, told to us by Gartner is the only risk quantification that has defensible values. And we've embedded that into our product, V-Risk, which is being used not only at major organizations worldwide to manage cyber risk, but it's also being used in our training. And that's what's really, really important is that we get the right information to students, to continuing education people so that they can demystify cyber risk for the board and understand how to look at this from a digital perspective. So I have some questions about, about your training, but can you just give a little bit of background about what you do and, and how you do it? Just so that it's, so we get some you know, context behind some of the things I want to talk about. Sure. So after I did the research, I wrote a book called Managing Cyber Risk. And that book was published by Rutledge, which is a science technology engineering and math publisher. And we started teaching it at Rutgers University about two and a half years ago. And what happened was that it was an overwhelming success. It was wildly successful. We had over 4,000 graduates in a two-year period because people were dying for this kind of information. They really couldn't understand well what cyber risk was. And to give context to it, 
Today, 85% of your business is a digital asset. And 20 years ago, 10% of your business was a digital asset. And this explosion in digitization is related to the explosion in cybercrime. So when you look at it from a digital asset perspective, you can actually quantify it and understand how much exposures you have, dollars and cents, and then understand how you're going to pivot your resourcing around that, your people process and tools in your cyber program to actually mitigate that risk to the highest level. Um, so we started teaching it two and a half years ago, and now we are expanding our program across all universities in the U.S., and we're going um, across the world, actually. Um, ISACA is going to be standardizing on our content. Um, we have Pace University, Seidenberg School, of computer science and information systems that has launched this year. UConn is signing up. Penn State, we're in RFP with. And it looks like the SUNY system's also going forward along with a number of others. So people have looked at what we have and they said, this is exactly right. We have to go through the PhDs of their cybersecurity programs um, and their um, computer science programs to get our content approved. We can't just go and teach. Right, because if the, you know, the folks at the university don't agree with it, then that certainly doesn't work. Um, and then what we do is we partner with the universities to provide the education, and we provide certificates that can be badged and can be used to pivot from IT positions into cybersecurity and from other IT-related or non-IT-related positions into risk governance compliance across and privacy across the organization. So what we're teaching is to take people with um, a certain level of skills, whether they be in IT or whether they be in the business and move them into these new roles that we see coming out, which is chief digital asset officer, data scientists for digital asset, cloud auditors, and a host of other topics that are really market-driven content we put together an advisory board um, of over 200 people at each university. And these are the CISOs and the DPOs and the CIOs, the CTOs of the major organizations that are supporting the program. And they help to drive the market content. So this is a really unique way of driving content to businesses to train them to be cyber resilient and to fill in the gaps of, on the technical side, in the US, over 2 million skilled cybersecurity professionals that they cannot fill jobs for. And these new positions that are needed to be compliant with GDPR, New York State Part 500, CCPA, um, et cetera, to make sure that the business can have the right people process and tools in place so that they can actually go against and measure the cyber risk and understand it from the context of reducing exposures. Right, right. So we talk about research, we talk about some of the education programs that you have, right, that you're, that you're um, offering. So what are some of the key findings in the research? And then how do you teach that? And why is it so important? And that, that the result is that you have over 4,000 graduates in a two-year period. And this is all accredited stuff, right? This is like yes. really high-speed, low-drag training. Exactly. So what we teach them is how to quantify cyber risk how to set up a vendor risk management program from beginning to end, how to become a cloud security expert, how to become a mobile security expert, how to educate the entire cybersecurity ecosystem in your organization to understand 
why they're doing things. It's not just about phishing. Phishing is essential, obviously, security awareness training, but the business has to understand why they're doing these things and they have to understand the ramifications of not doing these things in order to make sure that their job is secure and the, and the jobs of all their peers are secure. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so when you look at it from the digital perspective, this is what's driving everything. This is what's driving all the use cases behind identifying hidden exposures where the data retention and disposal policies are not up to speed. Looking at the prioritization of the scarce resources and going back against actual objective metrics that the board can understand, the auditor can understand, the CISO can understand, the data privacy office can understand. We level the playing field so that we're not talking cyber jargon, we're talking business jargon, but we're associating it back to cyber risk. And that's what's really important. Um, we have a cybersecurity sales program that is just dedicated to people who are selling solutions in cybersecurity products and services to get them to elevate their conversations with CISOs to be able to talk about cybersecurity the same way they talk to their peers about it. And that makes them a trusted advisor. So it's a very different conversation. We have the risk program, of course. We have the enterprise program. So we have these courses that the universities to be honest, cannot keep up with the innovation. There's no way. The innovation is driving cybersecurity and the risk is driving the, um, the necessity to have these kind of programs that can make companies feel that they are on the right path to mitigating their risk and having the right people, process, and tools in place. So how do you use the digital asset concept in your educational programs? How does that fit in? So when you look at the digital assets, which are your systems, your business processes, your data, and your technologies, right? Like your endpoints and your IoT, et cetera, and your network, this is what the cyber criminal attacks, okay? They go and they steal that data usually through a phishing email, you click on malware, it gets inserted, data is exfiltrated, right? There's a cost to that, we can measure that. Business interruption is typically done by interrupting the processes that make your revenue, your transactional processes, by a ransomware attack, which is at the organizational level, which encrypts the file servers and the entire organization of the on-premise systems, not the cloud. And also, the denial of service attacks where the attacker floods your web application server with traffic and shuts it down. Those are business interruptions, which means revenue is lost. We can measure that. And then you've got our new friends that are coming up. We've got four new regulations just in the last two years that are heavy hitters that are saying 4% of annual revenue or 20 million euro or $10,000 a record or $7,500 a record. These are big numbers. Um, PCI um, we've had for years, but we see now GDPR, we see the CCPA, we've got the New York State Part 500 and we've got the Insurance Data Security Act among others that say you have to have a cyber risk management program. But the big gap here, George, is that they think that's a, a risk the risk assessment is a security control assessment, and it's not. And this is the gap between where the regulators don't understand it either. A risk assessment is looking at impact and likelihood and understanding how to prioritize. And a cybersecurity control is upset, excuse me. A cybersecurity control assessment is measuring the effectiveness of the cybersecurity controls around that digital asset to see how in place they are and where the gaps are across the entire infrastructure. So 
that's really the difference. So what you're doing is you're doing two different things, but they have a relationship to each other. One looks at risk from the asset perspective inherently, because the asset itself is going to be more risky depending on how you've created it. What kind of technologies are embedded in it? Is IoT in that asset? It's inherently more risky because there's no security controls that the system administrator can use. How many people use it? The more people that use it, the more likely you're going to have a data breach. Um, how many interfaces? The more interfaces, the more likely you are to have a data breach. So this is what we call inherent risk. And it has a number associated to it. It has a likelihood and it has an impact associated to it. Then come the control assessment that these guys are talking about. And so your NIST cybersecurity framework, your ISO 27001, et cetera, are looking across all these security categories like access control, encryption, et cetera. And they've got some tests and you're going to see how you align to the requirements of the test and you're going to give them evidence, right? Because you're going to get audited. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so the bottom line is, is that they're looking at things that are useful, but they need to pivot and look deeper. And so digital asset shows you what those gaps are and what those relationships are between the digital assets themselves and the security controls. And when you do that, you can take the whole cybersecurity lifecycle and you can look at it from beginning to end, and you can ingest data from the cybersecurity tools to show dynamically what's happening with those vulnerabilities, threats, and incidents. That's where that comes in. That comes at the, at the end of the equation, because then you're going to make a decision. Do I accept risks? Do I mitigate risks? Do I plan to mitigate risks? What do I do, right? And what that sets the company up for is AI. So now I can, understand it in its true context, and then I can embed some type of AI mechanisms in it for whichever you want, automated patching or et cetera, et cetera, that show like a virtual patch that show what we can do without having people involved. And of course it has to be monitored, but um, this is where the business can see across the entire organization, things like, okay, which of my assets have the most exposures? Okay, these are my top 10. Okay, what controls are against them? Am I continuously monitoring, right? Am I auditing? What am I seeing in terms of all the controls across the organization? If I want two-factor in place, as an example, and that's a requirement for most of the new regulations, then I want to see is across the entire infrastructure where two-factor is not in place. And then I want to look at the context of that to say, okay, two-factor is not in place for these crown jewel assets. Well, that's not good, right? Or I want to look at the vulnerabilities, but I want to understand this IP address links to this system. And this is a trading system. Uh-oh. Important, right? Versus an, a system that is less important. And understand the interconnectivity between them. So this really pulls things together for everybody. So the DPO can look at the privacy metrics, the privacy impact assessment, which are systems that are processing and storing privacy data. The CISO can look at the effectiveness of the controls and their initiatives and programs and pivot resources accordingly. The um, chief risk officers can look at cyber risk as an enterprise risk and understand how it plays into the budgeting and the cyber insurance, et cetera. And the board can understand it from the ability to, to 
execute their fiduciary duties correctly and protect those digital assets. Because if 85% of that business is digital, which all of them are, then guess what? That's what you have to protect. It's it's very different um, approach to consolidating information and making the conversations be um, clear to each of the different stakeholders. Right. Let me ask you about cyber resiliency. There's a lot of talk about cyber resiliency in organizations today. And I think that when you go to, to a company and you say, hey, well, give me your cyber resiliency plan, there's not necessarily a cyber resiliency plan, but a lot of things they do contribute to the cyber resiliency of the organization, right? So from an organ- organizationally, what do you think companies need to change to increase their cyber resiliency and how should they approach it? That's a great question. Um, so you know the NIST, right? Yep. Identify protect, detect, respond, recover. The next step is resiliency, right? So resiliency is actually recovering, but recovering to a state of being in a better shape than you were before you had a cyber incident. That's really resiliency. So how do you measure resiliency? How do you benchmark it? You look at the inherent risk of the asset and you understand that in context and you take a sampling of all of your digital assets and you use an algorithm to calculate it. Now, that's good, but you need the people behind it. You need the organization that understands what it is. So you need someone to bridge the gap between the CISO and the board typically. Most likely the CISO is very technical, came out of networking, understands you know firewalls and IDS and SIMs and all that, but doesn't understand how to talk to the board and doesn't have the risk education. So having a governance or a... Um, a CISO that has the risk experience is going to give you one that understands how to take the information from the CISO in the context of what we're teaching and give it back to the board in a story. Everything is a story. Um, I think it was um, Ruth Hay who said that the world is uh, not made up of atoms, it's made up of stories. And so we have to be able to communicate what this is. And when you look at it organizationally, we see a lot of organizations having, you know, CISOs report into CIOs who have diametrically opposing agendas. That's not really going to help. So with resiliency, what we have to do is we have to benchmark it and then we have to set goals to increase it. And those goals are going to be based upon the information that we see from the effectiveness of the controls and in the context of the inherent risk and in the context of the vulnerabilities that are in the wild that are coming in or the incidents that you have or the threats that you're experiencing in the deep in the dark web as an example. So you pull that together and you start to benchmark and measure resiliency and set goals and then reassess once every quarter or whatever to see, are you going in the right direction? Where are you not going in the right direction? How can you pivot everything? Um, We have a big issue with cloud auditing, right? Nobody understands what types of differences there are in the cloud versus in um, the uh, on-premise systems, right? So what we're seeing is that when you look at a cloud audit, they're not looking at the right controls and contacts. They're looking at things that are specifically typically on-premise and they don't understand the shared responsibility model depending on if it's a software as a service and infrastructure as a service or a platform as a service. And that is being missed 
completely. I did an audit like two, three weeks ago um, on someone who was looking at a cloud service and it was just, you know, they gave a SOC report and that was it. Right. right. <laughs> and I was like, where's the rest of the stuff? Um, right. It was interesting. Um, so the market's going to change and we're going to see um, cyber being baked into products and services instead of being bolted on. So we're going to have to have the DevOps people on top of that SSDLC. We're going to have to have the marketers understand what does it mean from a marketing perspective. And we have to tie it all together. And cyber resiliency is something that needs to be measured and needs to be understood in its true context. So why is it so important to understand cyber resiliency and present these types of courses in the way you are in terms of cyber education and the programs that you have? I think from one perspective is that if you're not looking at the data correctly, then you're going to be misusing data. Um, If you look at a vulnerability and you say, well, this is my, you walk into a board and you say, with a list of 300 vulnerabilities and say, this is my cybersecurity program, well, it's not. It's a list of 300 vulnerabilities. So it's like, and the board cannot make a decision based on that. They can't give you the right budgeting. They can't give you the right anything. So the digital asset approach allows you to do ROIs on cyber tools to see, okay, this cyber tool reduced this much risk and here's the ROI, which is a very different conversation to have when you're trying to build a business case with executives that don't have acumen in cybersecurity. So resiliency ties back to competitive advantage. It ties back to M&A if you're trying to sell. Um, It ties back to the ability to be sustainable. Um, And, you know, what happens when you're not cyber resilient is you get breached and then all that money that you were spending on the new initiatives and new innovation, guess what? It it grinds to a halt because you can't spend that money anymore because now you're spending it to, you know, the cost of a record for your breach or the um, amount of different um, new cybersecurity programs that you have to spin up in order to be compliant. Look at what happened to Facebook. They had to have a new privacy program that was so rigorous that it's going to cost them, I think, a billion dollars. And apparently, I think Zuckerberg said he is putting a billion into it. Um, And what that is, is a whole bunch of things that they have to show that they do, not only oversight at the top, but all the different aspects of, you know, do you have your data identified? Um, What are all the controls? Are your processes and procedures in place to protect the data subject rights Um, and so on and so forth. So that's a lot of money that can't be spent on the organization's initiatives because they have, um, they don't have the cash anymore. Right. All right. So look, we're going to transition into a commercial break here, folks, but stick with us. We got lots more to come on cyber risk in this next segment of episode number 155 of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at ts7radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the CEO of Cyber Innovative Technologies and the founder of Cyber Intelligence for You, Mrs. Ariel Evans. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the CEO of Cyber Innovative Technologies and the founder of Cyber Intelligence for you, Mrs. Ariel Evans. So, Ariel, while we're talking about uh, digital assets and cyber resiliency, why use a digital asset approach to cyber resiliency? How does that fit in and how is it more effective and, and efficient than uh, typical approaches in the past? So what everyone else is looking at is threats, vulnerabilities, and incidents, but risk really is a financial metric. It's impacts that are financial and it's likelihood, the likelihood that you're going to have a cyber incident. And it aligns how the insurance company is going to pay the claim. So your aggregate limits, your sublimits on ransomware, your sublimits on business interruption, and your privacy sublimits. So it has a lot of use cases, which include cyber insurance, limits, adequacy, 
as well as being able to tie in all the data together so that the business can understand not only the exposures, but also to look across the entire life cycle and look at inherent risk, the mitigating controls and how well they're in place and the data from your cybersecurity detection tools that are coming in, such as VMS, the SIMs, and the APTs, to see how that all makes risk rise and then make decisions based upon objective information instead of, well, I think this or I think that, because the organization today is reactive and we want to get proactive. We want to get in front of it. And the only way we can get in front of it is the data. The data has to really have meaning. And the digital asset approach is how the cyber criminal attacks you. So if you tie that into the different use cases, you can set up a vendor risk management program, which looks at how the vendors touch different digital assets. Because a cloud service provider and a management service like McKinsey that implements SAP are two very different types of vendors. And you don't need, you don't want to look at them the same. You got to look at them in the context of what they're touching and what they're doing. Um, you need to look at GDPR in terms of privacy impacts and understand which of those systems are processing the most amount of privacy data and put more controls around them. You need to understand it from the perspective of the assets themselves and how the assets are protected or not protected across the entire infrastructure. So if you have gaps, you can say, oh, I see the gap and I can close that gap. And sometimes that gap is, is not expensive to um, close. So when we look at cyber resiliency, we're looking at a strategy, right? It's a strategy. How do I get the ability to bounce back stronger than if I get a data breach? Because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So we all have to know what that cyber resiliency number is, and we have to be doing things to increase it. So how do you teach an enterprise to become more cyber resilient? How do you go into companies and say, hey, this is the approach you should take to increase your defense and death posture, your cyber resiliency? How does that happen? So everyone in the business is a part of the cyber equation. They're just different stakeholders. The board has the fiduciary duty to protect the business assets, 85% of which are digital. The CISO is typically operational and is looking at the cybersecurity roadmap and operationalizing the controls and the tools and the people to identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover from cybersecurity incidents. And the bottom line is, is that it's an enterprise risk. So when we look at all the people that are touching it, we have to communicate to them in context. And we need to fill these business-related cyber roles because we have a lot of gaps in reporting analysis and the ability to communicate across the business and the technology. And if you have an integrated cyber risk management strategy, which is one of the strategies to be cyber resilient, it's going to reduce the miscommunication across the organization because everyone's looking at the same data, but in their context. If I'm a privacy person, it has to be privacy related. If I'm a CISO, I'm looking at it across a number of different ways. If I'm the board, I'm looking at it in terms of the protection that I provide to the asset. And how do we look at the digital asset in terms of optimizing resource management and having the right budgets that can be utilized. One of the big issues that we have is that we're under budgeted because cyber is a cost center and it's not a revenue producer. So people think, okay, a percentage of IT spend really works. Well, it really doesn't work. It has no relationship to risk whatsoever. And if you look at the digital asset approach, what you can do is you can actually take 
budgeting in the same context, the entire business looks at it, fixed and variable costs, capital and operational expenditures, and then make a budget <laughs> based upon your risk tolerance. So if my risk tolerance is X, I need this amount. If my risk tolerance is Y, I need that amount. And it's not rocket science, it's basic math. Um, so everyone can understand this. And you know, we need to have more people pivoting out of IT into these um, defensive positions in cybersecurity. We need more SOC analysts. We need more forensic analysts. And we need to train them up because they don't have experience in all of the different ways that the criminal can attack, such as web exploitation. They need to know reverse engineering. They need to know registries. They need to know defensive hunting and as they get more mature, they need to look at it from an IoT and a SCADA perspective. So what, one of the things that we're doing is we're providing the hands-on training. And I want to talk about that for a second because I think it's really important. On the Enterprise Cyber Risk Management and on the Enterprise Cybersecurity course, students are learning what digital assets are and how to inventory them. And they're in, understanding it in the context of their role. So if I'm the system owner of the trading system, I now understand all about the regulatory requirements, the frameworks, the amount of risks that I have and the exposures. And I understand it from the perspective of how I am going to be hurt if I have a cybersecurity incident. And that is a much different perspective than training you on a phishing exercise and saying, well, you know, if you get phished, someone's gonna get in, they're gonna spread malware and the data is gonna be stolen, which is true. Or you can have a ransomware attack with that as well. But the, that's so far removed from them. <laughs> it's, not, it's not right in their face. And digital asset cyber enterprise risk is right in their face because they're understanding the context of how they need to be up to speed on things. They understand what is important for them. So you can look at that across the entire organization and start to understand it. And then you can start to have the conversations with the CISO and with the auditors and with the forensics people and with everyone in the business that needs to communicate because there's a lot of miscommunication. Let's talk um, about, let's talk about for a second. I want to, I want to ask you about how do you explain your budget to the board? I commonly hear that cybersecurity is expressed as a percentage of IT spend. Um, I hear that all the time. And then people look at that percentage and make, you know, judgments right out of the gate um, of what that should or should not be. And, but how do you teach uh, your students to create a cyber budget, an information security budget that has defensible values and doesn't go in there and say, and just try to scare the board and say, oh, I need all this money, <laughs> you know, or we're going to, you know, the ship is going to go down eventually type of thing. <laughs> That's a great question. So when you look at how other departments budget, they have fixed and variable expenses, just like you have a home budget and your car payment is a fixed payment every month, your mortgage is a fixed payment. And then you've got variable things like how often you go out to eat or, um, what you spend your, um, you know, your, your excess capital on, or you may be investing it, you may be spending it, it just depends. Um, and then in a business, we have capital and operational expenditures. Operational expenditures are people, it's your staff, right? It's also the consultants that you hire, right? And you have the capital expenditures, which are your, in the, in the world of cybersecurity, it's the tools, it's the cybersecurity tools. And those are licensed back to you either on a CPU basis or a seat basis or however. So when you look at what makes up those 
different numbers. So let's take operational fixed first, right? So that's your CISO, that's your SOC team, that's all the people that are related to remediation activities. And those people will work across either one project or multiple projects for the whole enterprise. So you have an idea of where they're spending their time because you have resource management tools that tell you that. So if you know that the um, this one person spends 80% of his time on you know, database issues and encryption projects and so on and so forth, you understand which digital asset they're associated to. That's one aspect. Um, the second aspect is the, the tools. So this is also pretty much a fixed cost, right? Because every year you're going to relicense, right? Every year you know that you're budgeting X amount for your VMS, right? Or X amount for your set, right? And you can budget that. And the question is, what does that tool do? Does that tool go across the entire enterprise? Well, it depends on how you're organized. If you have regional SIM, so we're talking about how you look at the fixed costs of the cybersecurity tools. And it depends on if you have a SIM that is regional and there's several SIMs or you have an enterprise SIM that's across the entire organization. But what you know from doing a digital asset inventory is you know which tools are associated to which assets. And that's the way that you can calculate what you're spending in terms of fixed um, capital costs. Now, variable costs are both operational and capital, right? So the way that we look at that is you're going to take an average across a two-year period, and you're going to update that average every quarter of all the variable costs that are associated with the vulnerability management that you didn't anticipate, the incident management that you didn't anticipate, the threat management that you didn't anticipate, and what tools were bought for that, and what people were used for that. And then that gets averaged out every quarter. So as an example, say that you have a new GDPR initiative, and you have to buy a um, tool that allows you to identify the data. You're going to have to budget for that. Okay, what is that? $100,000 for a data discovery tool, whatever it is, right? So, and then you're going to have someone implement it and someone manage it, right? So, you're going to have the operational costs of that too. So, that's going to come into the budget now initially as a variable cost, but then as the business utilizes it as a fixed cost the next year when the license renews. So you can look at this very, very mathematically, and you can really get a clear understanding of what is needed for a certain amount of resiliency. So if, as an example, if you have a program that requires you to implement a SIM, right, because you don't have a security incident event management system in place, and that is gonna be your new initiative, then you're gonna actually need to go back and show the ROI to that too. So as an example, if that SIM is enterprise and you know it's going to reduce 25 to 30% of the incidents that could cause damage to the organization, you've been able to quantify that risk already and you're going to apply that um, percentage to it. And then you're gonna look at the cost of that tool and you're gonna do a cost benefit analysis and that will give you your ROI. And where that's useful from a CISO perspective is, okay, I want to build a business case and I want to take it back to management and I want to show the ROI. And the other use case is I'm doing a roadmap and I don't understand if I should buy the DLP tool or the SIM, right? So which one has the most ROI? That would be the way I would do it. 
because then I have some objective information that I can go back again and say, this is how this works. So budgeting as a percent of IT spend has nothing to do with risk. And we see that almost every organization is woefully under budgeted. And the reason for that is that they're really not understanding how much exposures they have and they're not understanding the context of how they can be reduced and they're not looking at it from a strategic way. They're being very reactive, very tactical, and they're relying on the CISO completely to provide them with the right information. And a lot of times the CISO doesn't have the right data to provide them with that information. So it's a real challenge for companies to start to understand what they don't understand. So talk to me about your vendor program. What's that all about? Sure. So vendors are different. There's technology vendors like Oracle that provide you databases. There's system vendors like Guidewire that provides you the claim center system. There's cloud service vendors, which actually store or process your data in a cloud off-premise and are responsible for some of the cybersecurity controls, and you're responsible for some. And then there's also your service vendors, like attorneys and lawyers who are notoriously have no cybersecurity programs at all. And of course, management consulting firms, IT boutiques, and what they do is they implement your digital assets. They come in and they, you know, okay, we're going to design this for you, or we're going to implement it because you bought it. And they're inside the firewall, right? but the cloud service is outside the firewall. It's a very different situation. Um, if you have a ransomware attack, it's not gonna affect your cloud service provider. It's gonna affect you internally. So when you do a vendor program, you have to understand vendors in context. You have to understand what kinds of risks they have. You have to understand which questions you need to ask them. You have to measure their risk and quantify it. And then you have to figure out how you're going to um, monitor them because you can do all this wonderful stuff. And at the end of the day, if you're just taking someone's word for it and you're not going in and doing an assessment and you're not going in and doing some type of an audit, then what's happening is, is that you're into, you know, the Reagan Gorbachev era of trust and verify where you're trusting and you're not verifying. Um, What we see happening is that the department of defense has come up with a new program called CMMC, cybersecurity maturity model capability. And what that is, is it's saying third parties must audit those vendors, which are 300,000 of them that have specific CIU access, which is classified information access to certain types of data. And they have to get a certain score and they're going to use a framework out of the NIST 171 typically, but What we're saying is that that's important and you've got to do that, but you also have to look at the context of what they do. And if you're not looking at them in the true context and you're just doing a security control assessment, which is what 171 is, then you're getting good information, but you're not getting all the information you need. And what really has to happen with a vendor program is you identify the high-risk vendors, the ones that have the highest exposures and the highest likelihoods, and you say, we're going to monitor these guys continuously because if there is a problem, then our problem is we have to notify everyone who's had a data breach. That costs us a ton of money. We have to put our initiatives on hold. We can't grow our company. And we get you know six months, seven months, eight months behind competition. And that's not what they want. They want to be in front of it. 
So vendors are responsible for 63% of reported breaches. Um, over 75% of companies have had a vendor breach. Not all of them have reported it. Um, and the cost of a vendor data breach is higher than the cost of an internal data breach. It's 7.5 million on the average. Where in the US, the cost of a data breach is, is 3.62, I believe. So it's like you have a significantly higher risk. And then you've got the fourth parties, which are the third parties that the vendors use. And what are they doing with those people? What is their vendor risk management? program look like. So it's this interconnected web of relationships of, I own the data, I'm giving it to you, you're supposed to protect it, um, but you're outsourcing to these other people who are also supposed to protect it. Right. So how do you know, like, what the heck's going on? Um, and this is a big area that a lot of people understand because, you know, we had Target with the HVAC, um, you know, we had Cambridge with Facebook. Um, we've had a lot of press on this, um, which has brought it into the limelight. And there's more statistics on it because of that as well. All right, Ariel, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the CEO of Cyber Innovative Technologies and the founder of Cyber Intelligence for You, Mrs. Ariel Evans. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the CEO of Cyber Innovative Technologies and the founder of Cyber Intelligence for You, Mrs. Ariel Evans. So, Ariel, as we as we wrap up this third segment of the show, I want to ask you, you know, how do you see education changing and how are we going to deal with cybersecurity moving into the future? It's a great question. So we have to have the right skills and the right roles. We have to have effective organizational structures. We have to know that risk is digital. And if you don't have digital risk, you can't see IoT risk, you can't see the cloud challenges, you can't see the privacy issues, and you're not gonna understand how the exposures actually are impacting you. We're seeing new regulations spin up in California around the IoT Security Act. I mean, this is what it's getting down to. It's getting down to the technology level. So we really need to be able to measure it at that level. So talk to me a little bit about what courses are available now and going into the fall of 2020 for some of the things that you're offering, because it's really cool stuff. Uh, Obviously, I'm on the advisory board, so I know all about it, but tell our audience about it because I I want them to hear about it. Absolutely. So we have 10 courses. We have three technical courses and we have seven non-technical courses. So executive cyber is talking to the C-suite about everything we just discussed earlier, getting them to understand how to look at a ransomware strategy, getting them to understand how to look at cyber insurance and the vendor programs. Executive cyber, we talked about a lot, but that is providing a level of understanding to everyone in the organization about what cybersecurity is and what it isn't, what regulations they have to comply with, what are security assessments, um, what are the specific details of regulations that that organization applies to, and looking at it from an auditing perspective and a forensics perspective at a very high level. If you got audited, if you um, had a data breach, what would you be interacting and how would you be interacting? And then, of course, the risk management and the risk strategy, looking at your role, whether it's a CISO, a DPO, a CRO, or the board, your role specifically in cybersecurity. Digital risk management is just risk management. It's looking at how do I quantify and how do I score both at the organizational level and at the vendor level. Um, We have the sales associate program, which looks at training up sales associates in cyber to understand how to speak to cyber data breach case studies, as well as terminology and role-playing exercises with the sales associates. Um, We have the new program for vendor, which is exclusively on vendor to create a vendor risk program from beginning to end. We have the technical programs, which are offensive defensive challenges, which are basic, intermediate, and advanced and those are specific to uh, security operations and forensics operations. And then we have 
cloud and mobile security, which are also technical courses that show you how to create a program from beginning to end. And everything, remember, is hands-on, hands-on, hands-on. Walk out with experience. It's not like, you know, a bunch of people talking at you, which of course we have that material. We have the books, we have the videos, we have the quizzes, we have the assignments, we have the hands-on labs that in all these courses you're doing. And that's the big difference as well. So who's the target audience for these classes? I mean, who, who, who would be best suited to take these courses and, and use them and how valuable it is in their career? So we partner with universities and we work directly with organizations, typically through their learning and development teams. And the roles that take these are very different. All the technical courses are aimed at either pivoting IT people into cyber or for security specialists. The business courses are looking at cyber risk managers for cyber risk and CISOs. The enterprise is looking at it for all roles. The executive is looking at the C-level, the sales is looking at it at the sales level, and the vendor is looking at it for procurement people, vendor managers, the CISO, it just depends on who's doing the vendor program. But there's um, actually a, a mapping of the roles to the courses that we can provide for people if they, they need more clarity. Ariel, any parting thoughts for our audience? Absolutely. Um, we need to do more in cyber. We need to get more budget. We need to be smarter. We need to be faster. Um, cyber should not report into IT. They should be its own line of business and have the business pay eventually for their security needs. I see that coming in the next five to 10 years. Everybody plays a part in cybersecurity, and we need to have the right people in the right roles with the right responsibilities, more streamlined and integrated into the enterprise cyber risk management program. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Ariel, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you coming back to the show. Absolutely. Can't wait My to pleasure. Back again. All right. Great. Great. Thanks so much. All right, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.